So we're, we're super excited you're here today um, celebrating Mother's Day. Someone said, you know, I wanted to kind of lay out at the front side what, our, what we're attempting to do today. In worship, we always seek to honor God first. Like that's our goal. Corey said it earlier. We want to bring glory to God today. And we want to honor God. But today, being Mother's Day, we want to especially bless moms. And so uh, you can tell things are a little different. We left the tables up because most of the moms like tables. Um, uh, some of the women at the church worked really hard to put together the kind of the stuff you see. By the way, there's muffins in the back and drinks and stuff. If you've got to get up during a service, don't feel bad. You know, I know moms like the rule maker. Like, you don't leave the table. Don't be rude. Don't walk out of the service whenever it's a really bad sermon. Rules don't apply here, okay? People walk out all the time. So you can go grab a muffin if you want to or a drink or whatever you want, you know, during the service. Feel free, especially moms, feel free to get up and do what you want to do today. Be, uh, just celebrate what God has done in your life. We're seeking to honor God and celebrate moms today. Um, and uh, today we're going to uh, get into the scripture and we're going to hear what God has to say about moms. There's some really cool stuff. And it's funny because I don't know the church often talks about it. I'm sure we don't talk about it enough. Um, about the role of, of, uh, of moms and their influence. Parents, for sure, but, but moms especially. Um, scripture gives us so many images of, of God and the way he works, you know, uh, his care. We sing about God's love all the time, his, his never-ending love, and we see some of these things exemplified uh, in our moms. And today, what I really want to talk to you all about, and I hope that you're encouraged, uh, is the power of a godly mom, right? I, I really debated on how to say this, you know, the power of a god oriented mother, the, the, the power of, of, of a mom who knows her creator, who, who is uh, intimately in relationship with him, you know. Um, I believe the scripture is replete with information, with, with uh, testimony, with confessions about the power of a godly mother. And uh, today we're going to kind of walk through that. But I wanted to start off with an interesting question for you. Um, and I, I think this is kind of funny, but do any of you have favorites? Moms, if you're a mom, raise your hand this morning. Look at all the moms we got here today. Do, do you all have a favorite child? <laughs> Colin's pointing to himself over there. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we live in a culture that says you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have favorites, right? And, and I think that's what's funny, what's funny in Scripture is actually we, we see favorites all the time in Scripture. We don't like to hear about that. You know why? Because we're the favorite, not the favorite, right? My mom is here this morning. Praise God. She just said, I'm her favorite. Can you believe she said that publicly? I'm her favorite child. Yeah. That's good. I'm her only child. <laughs> that's the way that works. Hey, that's what happens, man. You pray about that, you know. No more siblings. I'll be the favorite. That's what worked for me, okay? So here's the thing, right? But a favorite, you know, Jesus in his ministry showed favoritism. We don't talk about that a lot, right? We're like, no, he, he picked favorites. He did, you know? And I'm not going to encourage you this morning to pick your favorite child out, especially if you're surrounded at the table with more than one. But I wanted to tell you a, a story from Scripture about a favorite son. And this could be a favorite child, but a favorite son in Scripture. And it's found in the two letters that Paul writes to Timothy, right? What a funny thing that we have a book named Timothy, you know, there's these books like Samuel, these, you know, these books that are very masculine, you know, the Gospel of John. And then there's Timothy. Timothy is Paul's favorite son. Interesting, right? As a matter of fact, in the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, 
He literally says in, in the opening verses of, chapter, of, of the first book, he says, you are my true son in the faith. Like Paul writes a lot of the New Testament. But when he writes Timothy, he says, you are my true son, my real son in the faith. Paul loved Timothy so much that two of his letters were so filled with God's Holy Spirit, right? The word is the inspired word of God. The two of the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, he must have written so many letters to so many churches, but these two letters that are written to Timothy are saved in the canon because when other believers read what Paul wrote to Timothy as favorite, they were struck to the core. It was God speaking to us. Paul says, my favorite, my favorite son, my true son, he writes two letters to Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy in his faith. He's exhorting him to take on greater faith. He's, in, he's, he's just drawing him forward. He is sharing his own example of faith, and he can just feel the love in the letters he writes to Timothy. And as a matter of fact, when he wraps up his, his uh, second letter, he tells Timothy, well, actually, he tells him at the beginning of the second letter, I long to be with you again. I, I just want to hang out with you, Timothy. I want to see you face to face. And at the end of the letter, he says something most interesting. He says, hurry quickly if you can and come before winter is here because he can't wait to hang out with his favorite son, Timothy. What's interesting about Timothy, and you may know this already, is that Paul calls him my spiritual son. But you see, Timothy has a family he comes out of. And so today I want to talk about Timothy's family and how God shaped that and shaped him to be a... Uh, profound man of God. So I'm going to ask you, as we always do, when we open the word of God, we come in prayer because God inspired it and we want him to inspire us to understand it. That's not a joke. That's real. I hope you'll join me in praying today that God and his spirit would rest on us so we can understand today. Please join me. Father, today we've come into your house to sing praises to your name, to sing praises to your son and our savior, Jesus Christ, who has bought us as his own, who calls each of us his favorite child, the one that he would die for, the one that he would send his spirit to dwell in, an undying love in us that will not quit until we are saved. And Father, today in this time and space, I pray that we can just set it aside as a glory to you. We come with our moms and we give you thanks and praise for the way they've shaped us. And we pray today especially that you would bless them, that you would give them a double portion today of your favor, that they can know how profoundly you love them and how profoundly you will use them in the world. May you be glorified as we examine your word. May your spirit dwell in it and in us that we can understand it. Open our hearts and minds to your truth that we might live differently while here on earth. And we will forever, ever give you praise and glory because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at the second book of Timothy this morning, chapter 3. I'm just going to read a few verses with you today, and then we're going to jump into it and see what God's Word has to say to us. So this is the middle of Paul's second letter, and this is what he says. 2 Timothy 3, chapter 10. All right, verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystria, 
the persecutions that I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those of whom, from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul, in the middle of his letter, reminds Timothy of who, of who he is and what his call is. But I want to focus in today on a few verses in the middle of what we read. I hope you heard at the end, we know that all Scripture is God-breathed, right? We know that verse of Scripture. And yet here, in the, right before it, is this word that, that Paul gives Timothy. And this is what he says in verse 14. He says, But as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. You know, I told you a moment ago that Paul wrote these letters to Timothy to exhort him. Exhort's a fancy church word. It just means to encourage, to cheer him on. Yesterday, we got to spend some time, Chris and I and our daughter Olivia, down in St. Louis with like, I don't know, 6,000 other girls running around, right? And I'm not bragging about the running part. But you know what was the most amazing is they had volunteers. They had a volunteer sign-up table. And the volunteers did the stuff you would think volunteers would do at the beginning. They took registration. They gave you T-shirts. They, you know, made sure you had what you needed. They pointed you to the water. They spray-painted your hair or whatever, okay? But what's crazy is those volunteers, when they were done with their initial task, they ran to their spot on the course, and they held up signs, and, and they cheered for every child who was running. And you know, you might, I was watching at first, I saw these, I'm like, who are they cheering for? They're cheering for everyone. That's not the same. But then we would go by and I would say to Olivia, they're cheering for you. And she would run harder. And we would run harder because of these encouragers along the way. This is Paul. And Paul, he writes these letters and I told you, and he says, continue in what you have become convinced of. Remember what you have learned he says to Paul, or to Timothy. And he's just cheering him along, encouraging him. But this is what I want to focus in on. As for you, continue what you've learned to become convinced of. Look what it says. Because you know those from whom you learned it. I don't know if you're the kind of a person that writes in your Bible, but I would encourage you to underline that. Because you know those from whom you have learned it. This comes right before this word about it being a God-inspired text. Paul's making a very strong case here for Timothy's uh, life and how he's come to know salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, I read that and I say, so initially I thought, yes, there it is. You know who, who encouraged you. You know who called you. You know who taught you. Because right before that, we read about how Timothy knew Paul. You remember in verse 10, he said, you know me and my sufferings and my trials and my joy, right? 
But there's something else that's going on here with Timothy and his life. Because if you read on in verse 15, Paul says, You know, Timothy, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. You know those who taught you the way. Now, Paul was not around when Timothy was a baby. And I initially thought, well, maybe, you know, you read that out of context, you think, well, maybe Paul, you know, was like there, and he was like a father figure. He said, you're my true spiritual son. This is not Scripture's testimony, though. This is not those who taught. Paul wasn't the one who taught Timothy in his infancy the Scriptures. So I want to give you a quick picture of this godly man and his godly parents. A portrait, this is just like a picture of a godly person. I want you to just look back. It should be like right, probably one page before if you're using our Bibles. If you have one of your own, it's probably on the same page. This is a very small book, Tim, 2 Timothy. And I want you to look at 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. After his opening remarks to Timothy, his one true son, he says, I have been reminded of your, Timothy, your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now also lives in you. Right? Paul says, I'm reminded of this great faith that was first in your grandmother and then in your mother. And now, Paul says, I'm convinced is dwelling in you also. Dwelling also in in him. In Timothy's life growing up, his grandmother and his mother were godly women. They were. And from the time he was an infant, you remember what he said, he has known the Holy Scriptures. So I want you to get a picture here of what's happening. You have Lois, right? Grandma. And she's a believer in God. She's a truster in his providence. And she teaches her daughter, Eunice, to be a faithful woman. And this faithful woman, when she has a child, she begins to instill in young Timothy, her favorite, her son, the word of God. She teaches scriptures to him. The word says as much that she taught him from the time that her sincere faith that lived in her, she instilled in him. She had taught him Holy Scripture, you know? And, and I think, I don't know, I just, I, I saw this, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Because often, and maybe I'm wrong, but often I, 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 I feel like women aren't empowered to really be who God's calling you to be. I feel like often moms, wives, just feel like, you know, if, if something else were different, I could have an impact. If, if, if God had arranged things a little differently in my life, I could, really, I could really shape some things. But in Timothy's family portrait, what we see is a grandmother who loved God and a mother 
who loved God and who was convinced that it was her opportunity to instill this in her child, in her children. So she faithfully taught, she faithfully taught young Timothy the Holy Scriptures. I want to get into this a little bit because there's something about, you can just read about, you know, Lois and Eunice. They make Scripture. That's pretty cool. But there's something about their passion. Paul calls it a sincere faith. There's something about their believing that they feel so, you know, desperate to instill it in their children. I would say it was probably contagious, infectious. He grew up surrounded in a home of love. He grew up surrounded by the community of faith. And by the time Paul gets to him, he says, wow, I'm convinced that this faith is living in you, young Timothy. Interestingly enough, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are what's known sometimes as the pastoral epistles, you see, because Timothy was called to be a man of God, a man of impact. Paul exhorted Timothy. His first letter, he wrote instructions on how to run a church. We actually use them at Family Bible Church to structure ourselves, how we should manage the people of God for him. They're his people, not ours. We don't believe that you belong to us or Family Bible. You belong to Jesus Christ. He has paid for you in full. And we're only shepherding. We're only caring. We're only nurturing. And we look at First and Second Timothy because Paul tells Timothy, you're going to be a man of God, and this is how you do it. And in the middle of this pastoral letter, we have this great testimony of these faithful women who are instilling their children with the fear of God, with the respect for Scripture, a knowledge of Scripture. And I want you to see again, look back with me if you will. He says in 15, how from infancy you've known holy Scriptures which were able to make you wise through faith in Christ Jesus. Remember, he said, continue on what you've learned and what you become convinced of in your life, young Timothy. His mom and his grandma had not just told him, hear the facts, but they said, it's true. It's real. Timothy, change. Timothy, align your life with the holy God. And they exhorted him and encouraged him. They convinced him. They persuaded him to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, not just knowledge, and not just like smoothing his hair over for Sunday morning service so that he don't look embarrassing. No, they wanted to raise a man of God, something unique in the world. They were empowered by God to do just that. So Lois and Eunice, they had a sincere faith of their own that lived in them. They taught Timothy holy scriptures. They were convinced and they convinced him of the need for Jesus Christ for salvation. I'm going to back this up in a minute because you, if you're like me, you're like, wait a minute, where are you getting this? Check this out. And they made themselves known to him. I want to talk to moms for a minute, just for a second, okay? This is, by the way, the word applies to everyone today, but I want to talk to moms for a minute. You know, sometimes I, Paul gives us a great example of what it means to be known by someone. So sometimes I feel like moms have to act like everything's okay, <laughs> especially on Mother's Day. <laughs> Look at what verse 10, what Paul says about how it is to be known. Paul says, Timothy, you know all my teaching. 
This was Eunice and Lois's way too. She says, you know my way of life. You know my purpose. You know my faith. You know my patience. You know my love. You know my endurance. You see, can you see how a mom could demonstrate these same principles that Paul demonstrated to Timothy? Being known intimately is this picture of not a mom who is over there porcelain and perfect and impervious to everything, but a mom who opens herself up to love, to risk, to pain, to the hard places of life. Be known. Lois and Eunice made themselves known to their grandchild and child. He knew them. He knew all of those things. I want to The next thing Paul says is, you know my persecutions. You know my suffering. Let him in. You've seen the whole thing, Timothy. Your grandparent, your grandmother, and your mother did the same. They've shown you all of the truth of what it means to follow God. I mean, this is the problem, right? Because we have a tendency to make it this other thing, this like safe thing, this like, you know, God isn't, you know, that big thing, this, uh, you know, be safe Christianity thing. But the God who is moving, the God who is living, the God who is known intimately, you can't help but share it to invite others in and to talk real about how it works, how it doesn't, the, the struggles that you have in life. And I'm convinced as I read scripture that uh, Lois and uh, Eunice did the same. They let Timothy, know them moms. It's huge. It's huge. They let him know them intimately. Check this out. So here's the question. Drawing a picture, drawing a picture of Timothy's family tree, we have Lois, we have Eunice, we have Timothy, and I have a question. What's the question? Where's dad? Paul says, my true spiritual son, but where's dad? Where do you think? Do you even care where dad is? I want to show you something. This is found in the book of Acts. This is where, where dad is. This is the letter of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people of God and they went into the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what's recorded. He here is Paul. And it says, he came to Derb, that's Paul, and then to Lystra, where a disciple, check it out, named Timothy lived. I told you earlier, Paul didn't know Timothy when he was a baby, did he? You know, look at that. Because when Paul met Timothy, Timothy was living there already. Check this out. Timothy was a disciple already. When Paul met him. Is that interesting? That's interesting to me. Paul shows up. Here's this young man. Wow, I got this guy named Timothy. He's already a disciple. He's already living here. And, and I want to know, check it out, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer. You see that? Now, so she's Jewish, and the Jewish people are faithful, believing, but she is a believer. She, this is a big deal in the, the book of Acts. You know, there's a separation, if you read the New Testament, between people who were believing Jews and non-believing Jews, which it sounds kind of funny, but who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of Scripture. And Eunice is a believing Jew who convinced her son 
of the reality of Christ, who taught him the First Testament scriptures. Because you see, the letters we have in the New Testament weren't written yet, but she's reading, she's teaching him, fear God, the Old Testament, everything. Check this out. Here's Timothy's father, whose father was a Greek. Okay, he gets a mention. No name. The key word is but. Right? Mother was a Jewish and a believer, but his father was a Greek. You know the Old Test or the the, the Revelation, or the scriptures say. You're either Jew or Gentile. He'd be a Gentile. Not only a Gentile, though, you and I are Gentiles unless we're Jewish, but he was a non-believing Gentile. You see it? It's stated in the but. But whose father was a Greek. He was a non-believing man. He was raising a family with a wife as a non-believing husband. I want you to see something here that happens because this is striking to me, right? In a culture, a day and age, where we talk about, oh, the disparity of how God can work in households. Oh, what are we going to do? We fret, we, we, we can, we're worried, we pray, we, we're all upset about it. Here is a home where you have a father who's a non-believer, a mother who is a believer, a, a grandmother who's a believer, and a child who these women believe they can teach, exhort, and convince to take faith in Jesus Christ. And by the time the great apostle Paul comes rolling through and sees this young man, he says, you got it, man. I want to know what, what, where you've been hanging out because you got it. You know, in the, in the book of Acts, the way they determine if you're preaching the gospel is they would show up and look at one another and say, that's not the gospel. This is the gospel. Paul went and talked to Peter. And here when Paul meets this young man named Timothy, he says, you, I'm going to invest in you because you get it. Because God used his mother and his grandmother. I don't, I want, I want you to, I don't want you to leave today and think, you know. I want you to be encouraged about the profound way that God desires to use a godly mom. We talk church world. Most churches, about 65% of the people who gather are, are, are women, Right? And there's, like I said, cause of anxiety for this. About 35% of the population in most churches are men. But I, I want you today to know, to never doubt, never doubt. Because I think we kind of stratify and we say, oh, if I only had, if I only had. And, and, and the truth is that the God who spoke the universe into existence, the God who saved you from your sin, the God who poured his Holy Spirit into you, desires to use you where you are for his glory. There's a whole thing that we can't see here this morning about how God desires to use women in other ways besides their motherhood. If, if you read um, scripture and you think where, where it's found, it, it, Paul talks about how you can, uh, it's in, I think it's in 1 Peter um, 3, that, not, that God desires to use godly women not just to bring salvation into the home for their children, but God desires, if you're married to a non-believing husband, to use you to bring your husband to, salv sal to, to salvation, uh, knowledge of Jesus Christ in your home. You can find that in 1 Peter 3, I think, where Paul writes out 
God has you right where he wants you. And this is how you can do this. This is how you can honor God. This is how you can bring glory and you can bring salvation into your home. Praise God. Now, maybe I seem a little too excited about this. You know what I mean? Maybe you're like, get it, got it. Moms are cool. Moms can do stuff. God loves moms too. Pink stuff, we're out of here. You know what I mean? You know what I realize? The Timothy story is my story. Right? Just to paint you a little picture. My daughter's name, you guys know what it is? It's Olivia. Named after my maternal grandmother. I, I may have told you the story before, but bear with me for a moment. There was a day whenever I was a young boy, and I was just clamoring around at Grandma's house like I always did, and we would run in and out in the storm doors, you know, we'd just bang, you know, we'd be like downstairs before the door would close. We were breaking windows all the time. We were a terror. I don't know how she put up with us, but I came busting in around lunchtime. I was hot, sweaty, stinky. I know it now because I have a teenage boy in my house, and they smell terrible. I came flying down the stairs, ba-bam, and I was ready for some lunch, and I ran downstairs. I jumped, smacked the wall, the top ceiling, bam, because I always did that, you know, even though I wasn't supposed to, and I landed in the bottom. I threw the door open, and I'm like, where's lunch? And I caught my grandma sitting in a chair, praying. And I said, I'm going to eat. What are we going to eat? What are you doing? <laughs> and she said, I'm praying. I said, what are you praying for? And she said, I'm praying for you and for all of my grandchildren. That's cool. Because we were just doing some crazy stuff outside. It must be working. I was raised in a home by a mom, I'm so glad you're here, who taught me to honor God, to go to church, to participate. And if you want to hear some funny stories about, <laughs> I was Roman Catholic altar boy. Oh boy, God forgive me, okay? I, but I was there and I believed I could be part of God's work, of God's kingdom. I was convinced. I was invited in. And over here, and I love my dad, but over here, non-believing man, at best indifferent to the gospel. Praise God. The witness that we have in Scripture is that moms and grandmas can have impact in the world. And don't wait, don't wait until something else lines up, some other person steps up who has power, who has authority, who has some stance, because you can do it where you are. God desires to use you to shape your families and the generations to come. Praise God for his work in my family. So here's what I want to leave you with. These come from the testimony of Lois and Eunice and their uh, heritage. How to be a godly mother and the stuff, it's so funny when I write stuff down, I always think, that's, not, that's, that's pretty straightforward, man. It is. It's God. He's pretty, pretty clear about the way he expects us to do things. So here's the first thing. To be a godly mother, and I apologize, they're a little small, but I'm going to read them to you. Celebrate first your own salvation and new life in Jesus Christ. Like the most impactful thing you can do as a mom in your home, as a grandmother in your home, is be fully and totally in love with Jesus Christ. 
to completely pursue him, to let your children and grandchildren in, let them see you. I heard a pastor just recently talking, and he said he, said he always does his sermon preparation at home so his children can see him doing the most important work he does. He said, I do my administration at the office, but my study at home. Let them in. Let them catch you in holy moments. Let them see you believing in Christ for salvation. Celebrate it. You know, Paul writes a letter, uh, 2 Corinthians, and he says, he says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What a great word from scripture. That no matter, and I gotta say this to you because like moms are the worst in the guilt category. Like moms live in the past Oh, I could have, I should have, I would have, I, I, I almost, I, I thought, I wish. Paul says, no, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. Celebrate your new birth. Celebrate the grace you have in Jesus Christ. What a gift that we have in the gospel of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I say celebrate this, this new birth, but what's striking about Scripture is that whenever Paul writes down the most important thing he taught, he said, the most important thing I've ever told you folks who are following Jesus is the gospel. And he says, the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died for your sins according to scripture, that he was buried and three days later was raised to life according to scripture. And if you and I believe that, we will be saved. The old is gone and the new has come. Moms and everyone who knows Jesus, live and celebrate the gift you have in Christ Jesus. We talked last week about making him your treasure, the thing you would give anything for. Your example, your godly example will be contagious. By the way, I want to say this has to be real. You can't artificially celebrate your faith in Jesus Christ. You have to believe it. You have to, like, own it first yourself. Celebrate the gospel of Jesus. So here, here we go, then. The second thing we have is, is uh, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, Right? So you celebrate the salvation you have in Jesus Christ and love God with everything you have. By the way, I want to make a case, a case here real quickly that everything I'm going to tell you builds on the first. You can't start with step three on this list because we cannot, you and I, I cannot love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength and all my mind if I don't believe and celebrate my, cel my salvation in Jesus Christ. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a fruitless, wasted life to try to love God and ignore his son. So we love God with everything. What's interesting is that every time we dedicate a baby here at Family Bible Church, we use this verse. It's found in Deuteronomy. It's called the Shema, right? And teach your children to do the same as the way the Shema reads. Love God with everything you got and teach your kids to do the same. It's also found in all the gospel accounts. That's how important it was. Every person who knew Jesus knew this. Our call is to love God with everything we have. Third thing, live your life in light of Scripture. 
lived your life in the light of Scripture, right? The, the letter of 1 John says that if we're in the light, we are his. You can't live in darkness. You live your life in the light of Scripture. And what that means is you have to be in the Word. And this is true for all believers, but moms don't get an exemption. You have to be in the Word. You want to know how to be a godly mother? Read like what, what's written about how to be a godly mother. And do that in faith. But read, live your life in the light of Scripture and live your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that God isn't a, a respecter of men. He's no, he, he just pours his spirit out on his people. And, and it's a gift to you if you're believing in Christ to live in the spirit of God. You can, you can read scripture. You can live your life in scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit with you. The great thing that we have is a God who won't quit. The song we sang earlier today, I almost cried about it. That when we get to the very end of our rope, where nothing else will do, the Holy Spirit rescues us. It's the most important place to live our life. So live your life in the light of Scripture and live your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing, infuse Holy Scripture into your children and family's life. I, I love that the story of Lois and Eunice is a story of, of a grandma and mom who are going to teach their children the word. And I think in our time, our society, we do a lot of stuff, you know. We have a lot of things that we spend time doing. But how, how could we, and I'm just asking the question, how could we integrate Scripture into the lives of our families? You know, when they're little bitty, as a matter of fact, we got a baby here that's like, what, about three days old, four days old now? Yeah, five days old, Dad says. Right now, Grandma or Mom can start reading Scripture. Right now, we read all kinds of stuff to our kids. Tell them about God. Tell them about the gospel. Instill it early. That's an easy thing to do. Bedtime stories. Our kids love bedtime stories. Far too often, they're about princes and frogs and things of that nature. What about a story of a God who loves them so much that he would do anything, anything, that they would know him intimately? Other things I've seen done. I've seen moms who, who put scripture up publicly in their lives. That people have to contemplate it, even if for a moment. I've seen moms and grandmothers who know scripture and can speak scripture into the lives of their children and grandchildren. Do you know what the Bible says about that? Do you know what I've seen about that? And you can shape your family. You can shape your family tree. Infuse Holy Scripture into your children and family's life. It's, I, love, I love it, too, that it's almost kind of like subtle. I mean, it's like, almost like backdoor, you know? Here's the other thing, and I don't have time to get into this today, but if you know my story, God used my wife in a First Peter 3 kind of a way. That's what happened to me. It's all Chris's fault. Ask her. Because when she started to display a godly nature as my wife, I couldn't fight anymore. And I had to deal with God. And then it was over. Infuse scripture into your lives and the lives of your children. And the fifth thing, and this is probably the hardest thing for moms, is trust fully. It's hard for all of us, but listen to why. Trust fully in Christ Jesus, your Lord and your Savior, who keeps 
every promise he makes to his people. I put this number five, trusting God fully, trusting Jesus Christ fully with the burdens of your heart. You know, a scripture encourages, especially wives and mothers, not to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Trust God with everything. And every time I, I, I uh, get the privilege to talk to a mom who is heartbroken over a child, who, who, who for all external signs is going the wrong way. I mean, you know, one thing, I don't know if we even know what we do to our moms when we act crazy. But moms feel all that. And there's this anxiety and this tension and this worry. Can't sleep, can't eat, don't even know how to talk to my kids, don't even know how to deal with anything anymore. And you can get trapped in this. And Jesus says in that place, trust me, trust me. My favorite thing to say about the God who saves us in Jesus Christ, whenever we get anxious and we say, it's never going to happen, we cry out, Abba, Father, it's never going to happen. He speaks back and says, I saved you. I reached you. I'm putting my spirit on you. And he will do the same for others in our life. We can trust Jesus, the keeper of promises. We can trust him in his sovereignty. We can trust him in his way. And we can fully just allow him to lead, to love, and to be our Savior and Lord. So that's the fifth thing, trusting fully in Christ Jesus. We're going to wrap up with a a song. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and lead us in one final song. I think it's okay that when we see Scripture referring to God as a nurturer, as a lover of our soul, as one who draws us in, it's okay that when we see the words on the screen that we understand them, that we've seen them demonstrated in small ways in our life, but there's nothing as profound as when it's demonstrated by Jesus Christ himself. That is to say, there's nothing that's profound is when we get in our souls that the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who came in the cross, who who came in the crib and died on the cross and was raised to life, is right now knocking at our door, asking us to trust him with everything. And in that moment, we burst forth in song about a God who loves us so much that he would give his only son to save me. that he would give it all to save you. And so today I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'm going to invite you, if you don't know, and this isn't a game or a joke, and it ain't for us, that's for sure, but if you don't know Jesus Christ in a way that you know him as Father, you know him as the one who loves you more than anyone, you know him as the one who is saving you from yourself in this world, I'm going to invite you to receive him today. The great promise he made. And for everything else, I'm going to exhort you, I'm going to encourage you to trust God with it, to fully rely on him, to reach out and believe he can do what he has promised. Join me, join me in prayer this morning. Father, today we've come and we've heard a great story of faithful men and women who have come before us great history, the gift of faith, the gift of life, the gift of knowledge, of wisdom, 
of your presence, of your great love. And Father, today I, I'm convinced that there are those here who don't know you as they should. I'm convinced that there are those here that for far too long had just been thinking the plastic Jesus stuff is good enough. The, the not seeing, not feeling, not knowing, distant God is close enough. But today, Father, by your grace and mercy, I pray your spirit would speak into our souls. Whispering your great refrain, I love you. I love you. May we know your great love. May we be like those found in scripture who are faithful saints, receiving and celebrating and sharing with others. Father, we know we've all screwed up. And we know our past is a mess. So today, I give you thanks and praise for the new life you give us in Christ. May your spirit work here amongst your people. May your name be made famous. And may we all become genuine followers of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. And we pray in his mighty, mighty and powerful name. Amen.